This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, if you're up at this time, uh, chances are you might be pretty used to being up at these hours. And I certainly am, or at least as well as as accustomed to these hours as anybody can be. But uh, I am always uh, appreciative when somebody that we really want to talk to is kind enough to make themselves available at this tough hour. Thus is the case with our next guest, the former governor of New Jersey and uh, the chairman of the New Jersey Reentry Corporation. He wears a lot of other hats as well. Former Governor Jim McGreevy. Governor, thanks so much for joining us dark and early like this. Hey, Frank, it's great to be with you. I'm, I'm actually an early riser. Not this early, but usually <laughs> I get up at 4.30, so... Um... And to my friend Rick Freeberg and to all my friends that listen to Frank, hello, everyone. And uh, it's a real honor to be with you, Frank. Oh, no, the, Thank you so much. I appreciate that. The, the honor is all mine. Now, uh, hey, uh, because uh, you are kind enough to join us on um, the, the day after D-Day, I know uh, your father was a, v- very, as w- was a veteran of World War II and very devoted to uh, veterans' causes and basically devoted a big portion of his life to veterans' ca- causes for the last, you know, six or seven decades. And I know he passed away recently. Uh, I know how difficult that can be. I'm sorry uh, to you and your family. Well, I hope thanks, you, you guys are doing well, okay. Dad, yeah, no, no, I, I appreciate that. That was um, it was pretty special. He went. He told the story. That he got denied, he he went down. His brother had um, was served in the Marine Corps and was uh, part of the part of the forces that landed um, on Iwo Jima. In fact, he was in a volunteer mission because their responsibility was to dig up the mines um, so that the amphibious Marine forces could land on Iwo Jima. But the Japanese were heavily ensconced in the in the mountain, and they were like literally firing down. Um, on the beaches while these young Marines were trying to dig up the mines so that the amphibious forces could land. And so he, he literally, they, they got the last, they got the last mine. And as he removed the last mine, um, he, he died in an explosion, but, and he got the, the Navy cross and, and it, it was so much a part of, of who my father was, his oldest brother, um, and his dad was, you know, was a, was a police officer, was a cop in Jersey City, was an Irish immigrant. But so he went down to join the Corps and um, he was denied because he had a deviated septum. <laughs> and as as life would have it, um, and he was 17 years old. Well, he enlisted at 17 years old. He enlisted at 17 and he knew that there was a, a guy that liked to have a drink or two. In Hell's Kitchen, who was who was the recruiter for the the Marine Corps. So, as my father would tell it, he he went down after lunch, like at two o'clock, and the guy looked at him and said, "You know, you signed up." And, and sure, he and his buddy, you know, and, and you know, went into the Marine Corps. And it's just, it's just having the wisdom to strategically know which recruiter you you're going before. That always helps you get, you know, navigate to the core. But yeah, he, he, and then 
So he goes to World War II. It's the end of World War II. He's in Guam. And I'll tell you a little, a little, one quick little story. So we're at my friend, um, a local judge, Superior Court judge, says, I'd love to have your father talk to the guys from drug court. Now, these are guys that are in a diversionary program. They shouldn't, you know, obviously no drinking, no drugging, living the right lessons. And my father goes before them and says how when he's in Guam, the Marine Corps is living on dirt. And uh, in the Navy, they're like so much better. They're on wood frames and cots. So my father took it upon himself. And he's describing this. And the judge is there in his black robe and the guys are there and they're loving this. And he, he grew up, for, he, you know, he describes himself as a street kid from Jersey City. And then, Frank, he, he says, like, you know, he stole a Navy Jeep and they, you know, they, to go back and forth, they had nothing and they had no air conditioning. So he's stealing a fan and <laughs> then he, he's going into this bar and he's like, whatever. <laughs> and these guys are loving this story <laughs> about like, you know, and he sees himself as a great Robin Hood, you know, creating some sort of equity. You know, the Navy's on this fancy base and the Marine are like sleeping literally on dirt. And he's telling the story about how they, they told the guys it was raisin bread because there were so many flies <laughs> in the dough. And and these guys just are loving it. And and the judge, who's a dear friend of mine, says, you know, Mr. McGreevy, thank you for your, your service to the country, guys. Just, like, forget everything he just said about, <laughs> yeah, and they're like, you know, like, move on. And he just says to me, that he says, you know, your father was the first speaker that – Everybody listened to, and he goes, but unfortunately, I said, that's a little Jersey City. Well, that's yeah, very... But he had a great life. And then he re-enlisted for Korea, and um, and then was a Marine Corps drill instructor. And, um, you know, and then, you know, in his in his years, he, he was really involved in veterans. And if I can, just about vets, Frank, because I think this is important for all of us, that, you know, one of the the tragedies it's it's so tough and i think we we don't understand how young guys today on multiple young guys and gals on multiple deployments how war especially if you're an 18 19 20 year old how war impacts and so what what we see is just as an aside in new jersey state prison and i don't think we're much different than any other state in the nation there are eight percent of the people in state prison are veterans mm. and disproportionately combat veterans. And so what what we see happening is and that's why we're doing this whole initiative in New Jersey on veterans. And and I'm really grateful. I'm grateful to um, Governor Murphy and Speaker Kirkhoff when I was on the phone with him and Senate President Nick Scutari, because part of it is, is understanding that these guys and gals come back. And sometimes they're discharged with something called other than honorable. So if not to go into that, but it's worth Americans knowing that there's an honorable discharge. After that, there's general discharge. Then there's other than honorable. Then there's bad conduct and dishonorable. But the problem becomes is, and, you know, and I have great respect for an admiration for the military, but if they want to discharge somebody, and for whatever reason, like, I get it. But what happens is the VA benefits are so closely linked to the discharge status. So 
We had cases where a young Marine was handling body parts, two tours of duty in Afghanistan. He literally, Frank, and I'm not saying like this is okay, but he, he smoked a joint, literally one joint. He comes home to New Jersey just before he takes his final physical. They find THC, which is the... Um, right, the active the ingredient in marijuana. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, the active ingredient. And they discharge him with an OTH. So that means this young guy, you know, he's like, he's, he's, he's virtually, you know, he's just a young guy, gets discharged, Frank, with literally no benefits. Mm. And no. so, and that's, and all that I'm saying is, and like, and I get the, God bless the core and, and all the branches and their rigor, but it's, you know, especially in an era and, you know, we do a lot of guys, obviously, focus on prison and addiction. But, I mean, there's a reason why the number of veterans is so high. It's higher in prison than the general population because a lot of these guys and gals come home and they don't have the support. So whether it's, you know, and it's just also, you know, my father's idea of, of a priest was <laughs> going to Catholic confession. But, I mean, the, but the point is, is that he, people need mental health support no no doubt about it and and so all that we I mean what we do we, we have a great program where we get guys and and just as an aside and this isn't an academic this is reality um the highest rate of suicide is among veterans mm. the no. highest rate of homelessness is among veterans and the highest rate of mental illness is among Iraqi and Afghanistan veterans. And so it, it's just, you know, this is reality. And so all that I'm suggesting is coming back from war, people have to understand that we need to support our vets. And even if a young kid, young guy, young gal, if she or he makes the wrong decision, we still have to support them. Because I we were just with one fellow yesterday, he went into the Marines, came out, um, did, did, did drugs, and then, you know, what happened is didn't get any support and then spends almost a decade wandering in the wilderness. And so, you know, our sense is you've got to help the, you got to help these people who, who put on, and remember, this is, these are all volunteers. Right. They volunteer to serve our country. Right. So you got to help them. No, well said, and uh, we're talking with uh, former New Jersey Governor Jim McGreevy, now the chairman of uh, the New Jersey Reentry Corporation, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I, And I will say of your, your father, someone who was a great admirer of your father's, uh, and he didn't care for you, quite frankly, was Bob Grant. And the fact that... There's a the, lot of those. <laughs> yeah, the fact that Bob Grant would get so excited about seeing uh, your dad at the Rio Diner in, in Woodbridge whenever he'd walk in there. And um, even while, you know, he so detested your politics, it, you know, it says a lot about uh, how your father could win over people to causes that they that they both ag- uh, agreed upon. Now, I uh, want to talk to you. Oh, I'm, I'm believe, yeah. By the way, my father loved Bob Grant. And, it's a, you know, and, and, and he would talk and they were just, I mean, at the Rio Diner, it was so classic Jersey, like the diner, the good Greek diner, you know, and it's, it's, it's like a family, it's an extended family. It, you know everybody, sure. you know everybody from the community, you know everybody from, 
from, you know, church, and it was just, but a pomegranate would knock my socks off every other hour. I'm like, Dad, can you talk, can you talk to him over, like, the turkey sandwich? Yeah, like, he's like, ah. You know. I, I, I love what you're doing with uh, the Reentry Corporation, and I want to talk to you about uh, how you came to be doing that and what the next steps are, aside from changing this formula for how veterans get care if they've made sure. a mistake in their military career. But... A lot of our listeners, obviously, I think, may remember you from your meteoric rise up the ladder of New Jersey politics, state legislator, mayor, uh, governor as a very young man, and then ultimately the scandal which led to your resignation. Uh, I know you've been doing some work with the city of Jersey City for, uh, until a couple of years ago. You've also gotten uh, very involved in the Episcopal Church. What else have you been up to over the course of the last 18 years? For our listeners who remember you from essentially your resignation speech, and I know you've done some great appearances on the Cats at Night show as well. I always enjoy those appearances. What have you been up to for the better part of the last two decades? Uh, Frank, you're more than generous. No, I, I think I've you know, been trying to spend my time. Um, you know, when I was Mayor Woodbridge, I used to go into Rollway State Prison. And, um, you know, I'd be there, Frank, and I'd see the guys, and there was a great program called The Lifers. And, you know, it's not around anymore, but they would, they, they would bring young, young, typically young men into, into the prison to talk to them about trying to straighten out their life. And what I, what I realized about these guys is, um, you, you know, for a lot of them, they had made a, a terrible decision usually early on in their life, and um, they were paying for it with a huge swath of time. And and then, you know, I, I think as I get older and, I, you know, I had been a prosecutor and I had been, you know, in politics, I just realized in my, my own life that you make mistakes in life. Um, and, you know, I believe that we all make mistakes. Um but it's it's what you do with those mistakes, and and for a lot of guys, you know, when they come out, what do they do? So you know, what I've been doing with my time is trying to work with people as they come out of as they come out of prison, and and you know, for some of the guys, it's football time, right? It's it's you know, significant time coming out, and you know, you have the young guys, you know, the frequent flyers and kids unfortunately involved in gangs but for the older guys that that i respect that come out after huge periods of time trying to help them put their life together these are guys that you know the streets have changed um phones have you know there's there's not even a flip phone anymore there's an iphone Mm. um they have a certain wisdom to them in life but they have to get a trade and so they they want to know what they can do and uh, so we have a training center and we offer uh, CDL and HVAC and welding and Cisco certification, but that's that works if you're like in your 40s or 50s. But right, but not in your 70s. Older guys, it's, yep. it's it's tough. It's tough, and so we, we, you know, Frank, we work with them. You know, even Frank to get an ID. You know, so if Frank opens his wallet right now, you probably get your license. You probably have. You know, um, a, a couple of credit cards. You may have some ID. You may have a, a Visa card or a bank debit card. But if you're coming out of prison and you only have a card that says NJDOC, New Jersey mm. Department of Corrections, or NYDOC, 
I mean, it's it's almost impossible, you know, with that card, you know, to to secure an apartment. It's almost impossible. You you need a at least in Jersey, you need a MVC Motor Vehicle Commission uh, ID card if you want to get you know even benefits to hold you over until you get a job and you get settled. And so, I I think it's for any of us um, if we were dropped into any city. Any community and 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 some of the guys, you know, it's just like I've done this work and I've you, you spend really great time with some of the people that I find in my life have been willing to walk the walk. And I, I'm not like I'm not ponies and rainbows, but, you know, our Lord says those of you go without sin, cast the next stone. I mean, part of this is understanding that so many guys I see. And I always say this, you know, we just had, you know, uh, UPS hire like about a month ago, like 62 people. We we work with ShopRite. We work with Wakefern. We work with all of these companies that literally hire hundreds of our guys and guys are lined up around the block, like wanting to work because um, they want to move on with their lives. And it's just it's just really it's 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 a really good feeling that when you see people help them to change their mm-hmm. lives, but you have to have to help them give the tools. So the tools are, um, you know, identification and ID, MVC ID, cleaning up the legal wreckage. Somebody's used your ID. Somebody may have an outstanding warrant from, you had a ticket that turned into a warrant that turned into, you know, that's out on the street. Um, so it's cleaning up the legal wreckage. It's connecting people, Frank, to, to medical and behavioral. I mean, a lot of these guys, I mean, not for nothing. I mean, medicine in, in prison, people don't understand that prisons aren't hotels, right? So if, if Frank and I are in a particular hotel and then Frank, God forbid, you know, has a brutal, you know, whether it's a toothache or whether it's a medical condition, you leave that prison, Frank, and mm. you go stay overnight, like in Trenton at a, at the hospital, you lose your cell, you lose your cell, you lose your bunkie, you lose everything. So healthcare becomes something, especially serious healthcare, especially surgery. Right. I mean, we've all had like maybe one surgery in life or maybe two surgery in life when we had to stay over into a hospital or stay late into the night. I mean, that by definition disrupts the entirety of your life in prison. So we, we work with healthcare. A lot of our guys, unfortunately, addiction. And, you know, I, I grew up and I was blessed. I had the two most phenomenal human beings, parents I was blessed with. But Frank, you know, I always thought, you know, addiction was something that, you know, bad people do, mm-hmm. you know, and it's sort of naive and, 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 um, but you know, working in this space, and I had the pleasure of working with women for for four years, and 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 these young women would tell me, you know, that you know they were sexually assaulted, they were raped, they were, and and, and one young woman who I was really partial to said to me, she goes, Jim, I took drugs because life was just that tough, and and she was a beautiful young girl. Um, she was a beautiful young girl. Her father was an Italian. Her mother was African-American. She, and she grew up in Camden in public housing. She wasn't accepted because back at the time she was biracial. She, she never did anything violent, but she joined because her mother was 
strung out and lost her house. She joined a gang to survive. Mm. She said, Jim, she said, like, you know, if I didn't belong to a gang, she goes, I, like, I didn't have anywhere to live. I didn't have anything to eat. She goes, she was like, she was like 16 years old. It's all I knew. And, and you know, and the gang did. I mean, obviously the gang was, was did bad things, atrocious things. But, she, you know, eventually she got, we got through all the legal and the criminal one and, and people testified. But then the long and the short of it is she, she goes, she gets her two daughters back. She goes to community college. She manages a pancake house. And, and like somebody helps her and she makes the right decision. So for, I I just see is just like, you know, I was blessed and I said immeasurably blessed to know God willing, you know, have somebody help me in the decisions of my life um, when they could, or when I was willing to listen, but so many young people don't have that. Right. And, but, but I think, Frank, I think human beings are human beings. I think we all search for belonging. We search, especially when you're young and you know, you're talking about 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. And I think kids, especially boys, are maturing so much later today. But they want to belong and, and they want to belong so badly, whether it's a gang or it's a membership, that they're willing to make, you know. And so, I mean, the old things like I remember my father talking about the Police Athletic League and, and, and even the you know, the, the the presence of the Boys and Girls Club or those community organizations. Unfortunately, you know, they've been hit, whether it's the economy yeah. or no. other circumstances. But it's having people, you know, whether it's a teacher, whether it's somebody in your life that that espouses, that helps you realize you're better angels. And so what I see in prison is I see people that have made bad decisions and and often they're the first to say it but they want to do something different but you know just and i know this might be a crazy notion but spending you know 20 years in prison i mean and 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 maybe there's that small percentage of persons that never want to reclaim their lives but from what i what i have had the pleasure of knowing is overwhelmingly women and men um made a decision and it was the uh, I'm not saying it was the right decision, but it was the best decision they could have made at the time with the level of thinking. And, you know, if they had different circumstances, they might have made a, a different decision. But but my my role isn't to be their, their priest or their minister or their rabbi. My role is to help them integrate, to live healthy, law-abiding lives, is to get work. And I'll... I'll I'll just leave you with this, whether it's, so it's ID, whether it's legal, it's medical. So it's, it's, you know, trying to stay sober and where people candidly are suffering from opioid addiction. And I could talk about that for, for six years because so much of what we do is in the addiction space. Um, We provide medication assisted treatment, suboxone and support. And then in addition to that, it's linking people to housing. And then it's also employment and training, which is so important, Frank, is, is giving people the opportunity, as my father would say, the best social program in the world is a job. But you can't get people a job. And, and that was the old way to get reentry is, you know, first thing, come home, get somebody a job. But, Frank, before they get a job, they have to be settled. Um, they have to 
have a home. <laughs> not I'm not talking about like a like a right, I'm not a mansion. They have to be secure. Yeah. Exactly. They have to be secure, whether it's an apartment. I mean, it's rough. I'll just tell you this. I have friends of mine who do Lord's work and running shelters. It's rough living in a shelter, trying to go to job, um, worrying about your stuff, or in some shelters you have to take your stuff with you. So it's housing, and so then lastly, it's employment and training. So after you get your ID, after you get your medical, after we help you clean up the legal, after you know we give you opportunity with social workers to get all your benefits, whether it's GA, SNAP, Medicaid is important mm. because if you have a history of addiction and you're taking Suboxone so you don't go out and use right. If you can't afford you, the, if you can't afford the drugs, then forget about it. You'll go exactly. back on drugs. Yeah, uh, no, I, I absolutely get that. If people just tuning in, by the way, we're talking with uh, former New Jersey Governor Jim McGreevy. He's with the New Jersey Reentry Corporation. We haven't even scratched the surface of the kind of programs that uh, NJ Reentry offers. If you want to learn more about them, you can go to the website njreentry.org. That's njreentry.org. And, Governor, I'm very interested in this topic. I could talk with you about this all day, but there's three points that I want to ask you about before we sure. let you go. One, a lot of people are listening to this show right now, and I get these emails after every segment that I do that's geared towards inmates and former inmates, and it's some version of this. It's, look, I work so hard to abide by the rules, to uh, provide for my family and for myself why should I spend any time, any money, any thought instead of providing for people that are doing the right thing in life, instead making life any easier for people that made a choice that ended up sending them to prison? Explain to those folks, the folks with that mentality, why it's so important that folks that have been in prison are reintegrated successfully into society. Into society. Well, Frank, it's a great question. And, and typically what I do, and I have a, you know, by the way, you know, our, I'm blessed to have a board, a completely bipartisan board. Well, I say nonpartisan board. I mean, Republicans and Democrats. I have, like, great leaders in the community, faith leaders. But what I do is when I have friends like that, typically I have them hang out, um, even if they give me a couple hours with our guys and gals. So I think, you know, Jim McGreevy can give you all the philosophizing and, and just from my experience. But I, I love for them to listen to these guys and, and they'll like begrudgingly, you know what, maybe you're right. And you, you know, what, what I see is, I mean, from a strictly from a, um, from a numbers argument that you have this small percentage of the population that has obviously done um, damage, you know, uh, whether it's property crime, whether it's personal crime, whether it's cost, cost to the court system, cost to the prison system, et cetera. So from a utilitarian perspective, just from a pure financial perspective, if we can stop this, right. this aspect from committing crimes again, it's financially, it's it's a benefit. I mean, so the, so if you were look, if you were a social scientist looking at whether the state of New Jersey, or the United States, and you could say, you know, nationally, our statistics on recidivism are awful. But you know, it's it's oh, it's over two thirds. It's it's over sixty six percent. It's over seventy percent. You know, come into the system, go out of the system, come into the system, go out of the system. 
It's like super utilizers right. in prison. Uh, yeah, and, so and, 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 if you care about – even if you don't care about the people that are in prison or have been to prison, if you care about things like public safety or taxes, it's even more yeah. important to have these folks integrated back into the into the system. Also, you um, – can I make a human argument? Please. Because yeah. that's not why I do it. I mean, like, you know, when we use Salesforce and we have we have, we have 14,000 clients and, and we use Salesforce, which is a great instrument. And we sort of people's criminogenic history and people's um, medical history and people's social history and, and people's employment history. And we record all of this data and we work with great institutions. We work with the State Parole Board and participating in the United States Department of Justice, if I can shout them out, for their Bureau of Justice Assistance. We had a, a great grant, Swift Certain Affair, where we help people get back from addiction, get employment, lead productive lives. But there's also, Frank, the human factor. And for so many, and I go back to like the Ronnie and Jack McGreevy factor, for so many of these guys and gals, and for the person who says, I play by the rules, I've done it right, I've raised my family, I say, God bless you. But I'll say this to you, somebody taught you to do that. Mm-hmm. Probably your father, probably your mother, probably your grandparents, and maybe it might not have been your biological father, but somebody taught you values. Somebody taught you the difference between right and wrong, and somebody helped you along the way. And what I see is for so many of these young people, it's their, you know, it's, you know, the chaos of the street. Yeah. Um, And so what, you know, that's what I believe is if we can correct this. And I'll just say this, Frank, we run a really tough program. I mean, dad, my dad was a Marine Corps DI. We don't want a light program. And a friend of mine says, someday you're going to get, your mouth is going to get cracked. Because we, because I treat these young guys and gals with the same level of expectation. Look at, stand up straight, act properly, take off, you know, the hat inside, you know, stand up when you meet somebody, shake their hand. But for, you got, you have to be taught this, right, uh, Governor? So I, I, I got I got to ask you about two more issues before we run sure. out of time here. One is I have to take advantage of your political expertise. You've run in a bunch of elections in New Jersey. You've uh, won most of them, lost one or two. But um, today is primary day in the state of New Jersey. Now, I'm a New Yorker, but I'd like to think I'm pretty attuned to, you know, political affairs all over the country. What I've never understood is why in New Jersey is it so difficult to win a primary election running what they call off the line? In New York, for instance, candidates run in primaries and beat the hand-picked candidate of the county organization, Democrat and Republican, all the time. Why does that so seldom seem to happen in New Jersey? I've always wondered about that, and I think you may be in a unique position to answer that. Well, I, I just, you know, you know, Frank, the line is the line is the line. And I, I you know, my whole life, you know, you, you run trying to get the line. So the line is the organizational support. So to New Yorkers, it's running with um, – you know, the local county committee. So basically you bracket, you bracket, you line. it's top of the line, all the elected officials to the bottom. And so everybody goes out there and traditionally supports the line. Now I've been kicked off the line and obviously my God, I, I was, I was an assemblyman. I got kicked off the line because of redistricting. And that's when I became mayor of Woodbridge, which is 
as my Irish grandmother would say, God works in mysterious ways. I went door to door to the entirety of Mayor Woodbridge, knocked on doors, and it was like probably the greatest job of my life. But I mean, what happens is in politics in New Jersey, the organization, whether it's the Democratic organization, the Republican Republican organization, they bracket. And so it's from the top of the ticket, that endorsed candidate, all the way to the bottom. And so and usually, you know, they take a predominant, you know, whether it's A-line or B-line, Republican or Democrat, um, so that everybody who's running with the organization has a line. So it's not the scattered helter-skelter that you see in certain states. Yeah, I just I've never understood why the individual voters seem to adhere, even the voters that uh, can't lambaste politicians and political leaders enough. They always seem to adhere with whatever the line is. L- last question. Remember, remember, you got to remember, Frank, what God, what Governor Burns said that you know when he when he died, he wanted to be buried in Jer- buried in Jersey City so he could stay active in Democratic politics. <laughs> so, uh, his, 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 like at least his other Brendan's other great line was that you know he now he knows that he's no longer governor. And I said, why is that governor? He said, when I wave at people, they wave back with all five fingers. (laughs) Finally, Governor, I have to ask you about this. You know, um, you always hear so many stories about people finding Jesus in prison, and that sometimes gets mocked as, uh, oh, you know, Jesus is always hanging out in prisons. Why doesn't he hang out outside of prisons? And I actually think there's something, too, when people are at a low point in their life they do look for answers beyond themselves. And I'm wondering, you've mentioned, you know, your faith and God a few times in the course of the last 20 minutes. I know you, you know, actually got a master's in divinity and became much more involved in the Episcopal Church, you know, over the course of the last two decades. Did your downfall as a politician bring you closer to God or do you think religion helped you manage that crisis in your life a little bit better than if you didn't have faith in your life? You know, Frank, great question. And by the way, I, I spend now with, you know, sort of this point in my life, I sort of go to God rest his soul. I mean, I, I would go to 12 o'clock mass with my father. And, and so I have, as, as, as I said to a friend of mine, you know, when when you grow up in an Irish Catholic household, you have that permanently in 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 your heart as well as in your psyche. Um, but no, it was a, it was a source of strength. So you know what you know. There's a great book, Joseph Campbell, um, who wrote this book called The Hero's Journey, and Campbell writes that we're all on this hero's journey, right? We you know we we grow up and and a lot of uh, fancy uh, media moguls copy. Campbell, you know, whether it was, I'm not saying they, 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 they copied his words, but they copied his ideas. And I mean, George Lucas, Star Wars, the whole notion of that, you leave home, you go out on the journey, you meet good guys, you meet bad guys, there's a moral test, you cross the abyss, and then you come home. I would just encourage you to people to look at it, something called the monomyth. And that the notion that we're all on the hero's journey, whether it's Frank or Jim or anybody listening, whether you're sitting in prison or whether you're, you know, have one of those fancy corner suites in New York City, we're all on a journey. We all have a story. Frank has a story. Jim has a story. Everybody listening has a story in their lives. And and he would argue 
Campbell would argue that it was important to know that you have a story, right? To know that you're aware of that story. Like you grew up, where were you born? Where, do you, where did you live? Where did you go to grammar school, high school, your first job? Maybe the first time you committed a crime, maybe the first time that you did a drug or you, the birth of a child or whatever. We all have a story. And th- then the next part was, Frank, is that we have the capacity to change that story. And so David Brooks, and I'm a David Brooks freak, um, writes for the New York Times. He talks about, you know, career virtues and what he calls eulogy virtues. And I think what happens for me is, um, you know, I I, I went to, um, I, when I, after I came out and I resigned, I went to a friend of mine. And I said, I want to talk to the oldest Jesuit, the wisest guy. And a friend of mine was a priest, gave me to this uh, doctor who was the dean of psychiatry at Albert Einstein. And this guy was just, was just brilliant. He was like, I, I thought he, he sounded the way Moses, and I said this with the deepest reverence. He, he was just so wise. And he said to me, this was a great gift. I'm like, <laughs> I lost my job. I lost everything. I said, all right, doctor, how is this a great gift? He said, you found out early enough in your life what's important. Mm. And he said, you know, so what's important? At the end of the day, I mean, you know, you just talked and you were kind enough, Frank, to talk about my father. And, you know, I I literally, you know, I I saw him in those those last days. But he had a full life. He had a full life. He had a wonderful marriage. He had a wonderful family. He, He gave to his community every day. He cared about people. It wasn't about himself. It was about service. And I can go on. But it's just like, you know, the honestly, you know, I was a young man in a hurry. I wanted to, to get ahead politics. And, you know, I was also wrestling um, with my own, um, both my sexuality and my own demons. But I, I will say that faith helped me so much clarify. I mean, so it's at the end of the day, my grandfather had a great line. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses, right? <laughs> You know, you go into the world naked and alone and you leave. And I I think what for me was, and everybody has, you know, there's an old um, friend of mine said to me that everybody has a God. Um, everybody has a general ordering direction. Whatever it is, we, we whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's power, um, you know, in the in the Hebrew Bible, they would be false idols, but it, it's it's to have the God of our understanding, or to have what Lincoln would say, to follow our better angels. And and like you know, you talked about Bon Jovi and the sad death of Alec before. Like I see Bon Jovi's wife Dorothea. Um, she, she does so much good. There's something called JBJ. She 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 takes care of. And mm. like, you know, and John is a great guy. Go- but, Governor, I actually, I, I have to actually end it there on, on that note. But I, oh, let's continue this conversation in the future right. uh, because it's an important one to have. I love what you're doing, and if people want to learn I, more, thank of, you, Frank. And can I give out a sh- shout out for Margot? Oh, please, please. If there's like one person, I'm not going to interrupt. Like great women that do so much for the community that give back. So and anyway, that's that's the only message that I want to have. Amen. At the end of the day, you understand, you know, when you when you know you're facing that, 
what's important in life. And God willing, it's, it's your family, it's service, and to do the next right thing. Frank, so much. This has been the best morning hour I've had in a long time. <laughs> Governor, whenever you're wrestling with insomnia, please call in. Governor Jim McGreevy, thank All you very, right, very you. much. Uh, check him out at NJ Reentry Corporation. You can go to their website, njreentry.org. And uh, if you want to, by the way, $1,000 minute, if you think you have what it takes to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, be the seventh caller right now to one 800 848 WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We'll give you an opportunity straight ahead.